0: Hey guys, welcome to the Physique Factory podcast with myself, James, and Conor Moran. And today we've got a special guest, uh, Paul Standall. Paul?
1: How are we, boys? Thanks for having me
0: on. So I thought I'd start by uh, getting you to introduce yourself, Paul, to anyone who might not know who you are.
1: That's nice and vague. Right, so, so I'm, yeah, no, no, I'm not for quite those quite who don't know me. me.
0: <laughs> so, so
1: how did you get I was get a shy your... young boy, born in the wonderful county of Herefordshire. How would you, how deep do you want to go on the introduction?
0: <laughs> yeah, just start from the beginning, Paul. We'll, we'll just keep it rolling. It was a
1: cold Tuesday evening. <laughs> um,
0: how, how were you conceived, Paul?
1: <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know that I want to know.
0: <laughs> we, could, uh, we could bring your parents on as a special guest again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like a secret
1: on. guest what was the show when they used to introduce um, like people that they weren't expecting like this is your life does anyone remember that have I aged myself I feel like I might have just aged myself <laughs>
0: yeah you so probably I have
1: with a sat with a book and they'd, they'd go through the life of this person and then they'd bring out people across the years and there'd always be some obscure person and we brought on your primary school teacher from year five and they were like oh my god Oh, you, so, you know I have actually arranged my parents to kick in at this point, this would be the best <laughs> podcast I've ever done in my life oh, <laughs> first,
0: first question, how old are you?
1: 33,
0: 33 right. not, <laughs> as a, not as much yeah, yeah. shock neck eh? How old is Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Nick was 39 but he did not look 39 oh really yeah, was, yeah. even the tanners that's made him look younger
1: it was uh, one of the fun parts of, uh, of being in the muscle mentors was um, I was <laughs> other than Jimbo the oldest person in there but I'm confident didn't look that way uh, <laughs> you know Cal Cal you know Carlos many one wonderful qualities. He's a great dude, but his face looks seventy-four. Uh, <laughs> Had a hard life. Who's <laughs> uh, I mean, he's enormous. The man's a human fridge gorilla. But but his face is not aging well. He won't mind me saying this, he owns it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, if you have listening to the Physique Factory podcast, I'll be quite surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you might get you sent know. a clip. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, so anyway, Paul, how, how did you how did you get into the fitness industry? Obviously, you're you're an online coach, personal trainer yourself. Um, and for those who don't know, Paul was part of the Muscle Mentors group that just kind of recently finished up um, and helped educate, you know, other personal trainers. Um, and he's been helping me for a while now as well with um, a lot of the the biomechanics stuff, um, mostly talking about triangles, which, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, doesn't sound doesn't sound right for the gym, but it is. Um, but yeah, how, how did you get into the fitness industry, cop
1: I think I got into the fitness industry in the same way that a lot of people did, of being, um, not feeling a particularly attractive teenager and discovering that lifting weights sort of helped that a little bit. And uh, one thing leads to another, I suppose. You know, I was a bit of a spotty teenager, as well as being slightly chunky once I stopped playing any kind of sport. And um, sort of had enough of being both spotty and chunky. They, then it's not res- necessarily known as the best combination for attracting the other sex. So I was like, well, if I can't do anything about my skin, I could at least be a bit less rotund. <laughs> uh, so so discovered the gym, um, like a lot of guys and, and girls who get into it, got a bit obsessed. Would go, you know, six days a week for two hours a day at the, the local college gym, which it was a small room. I'd just do a circuit of all the machines in there, an hour on the treadmill, mm-hmm. eating Weetabix and salad. And uh yeah, you went know, from
0: hopefully um, you weren't eating them together.
1: I, I you know, I tried to probably put some milk on some lettuce at one point. Who knows? <laughs> We've all done some strange stuff over the years. Um, and went from about, you know, a hundred odd kilos of the not good variety as a as, as a 17-year-old down to about um, I, I dropped about three or four stone. I think I was I was counting in stone back in the day, down yep. to the seventy something, and uh, then quickly realised this this wasn't the visual that I had in my head at the end of <laughs> the end of this phase. You know, at that point you're thinking, well, I'm working out loads. I'll obviously look like Arnie real soon, um, <laughs> and that, that that wasn't the case. So you're like, ah, shit! What have I what have I done wrong? What have I missed? One thing leads to another, you, you start following the bodybuilding workouts because you, you you don't know any better. So like, ah, this is a Dorian Yates workout I found on the back of a protein uh, tub. So we'll, we'll follow that along with the diet. That was a bit better than what I was doing, so it works a bit. But, you know, I'm still not looking like Dorian Yates. What the fuck am I missing?
0: So you're in at the college gym doing one all-out working set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Screaming. high-intensity training. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Yeah, not quite yet. But you know, you you run through these things, and uh, one thing leads to another. Maybe you discover some science along the way. You end up reading T Nation again. This this may age me relative to uh, some of the listenership kind of here. Um, and through those years, so I was also a I, I was an actor um, for for a little while. So I went to drama school and was a performer. And honestly, was initially looking for a gig I could do while still auditioning and performing. So um, in my head, that was between pt and uh driving instructor so i'm pretty i'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> glad I, I picked the pt route and the, the reason for that was just you know i liked training and i yeah. think you know if, if most trainers are honest with themselves the reason they get into being a trainer is they fucking like training themselves uh and then you start to over time realize that okay well just because i like training doesn't mean my clients care about it in any way near the same shape that i do um and just because I like training doesn't really know, doesn't really mean I know all that much. Uh, certainly, how to deal with people and help people, but it's a start. You know, it, it's hard to get good at something unless you're somewhat passionate about it. And actually, if you want to be a great trainer, you probably need to be passionate about training and also about helping people. I suppose um, are the probably the the two main things. And so, eleven years of meandering through some of that kind of stuff later of trying to. Um, know the answers to a bunch of stuff, trying to help people as much as I can, trying to enjoy my own training, et cetera, we, we probably arrive here. So yeah, I've been doing it over a, over a decade. I've been into the biomechanics field for the last good few years, um, and that's probably what most people who know me know me mainly for. Um so yeah, and that's hopefully yeah. enough on me without it being too dumb.
0: I think um, I think that's the thing. Like most people do know you for biomechanics, so we didn't want to get as much as we love that as well. We didn't want to get too into that today, and want to make this one a little bit different. And um, mm. but kind of going back to like when you started uh, training, Paul, what was like? What would you put as like the most stupid thing you've ever tried, like either in the gym or like nutrition wise? Give us a hand. Give us a hand. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> we could be here for a little while.
1: Uh, <laughs> Just so, give us one. <laughs> uh, so I, God, when so when I first qualified and started fit balls were much more popular than they are now all right so the swiss ball the fit ball that round thing that everyone just bounces around on in the gym it was core training had to be done with fit balls was 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 very much the the in thing like any course you went on This was going on. There was a guy called Paul Cech who popularized a lot of it. And uh, so, you know, you'd be kneeling. It was like circus tricks. You'd be kneeling on your Swiss ball. If you could do like a a four-point kind of position, almost like a tabletop position on a football, that was the way you'd start. Like, can I just balance for some reason uh, on on this thing? Could I take an arm off? Could I then kneel on it? Could I do a wood chop whilst uh, on this? I'll tell you what, actually. So the... (laughs) The first class I ever took. So super excited, right? You've just qualified. I'm allowed to take my first class. It's a circuits class. I was super excited about this thing. I then proceeded to throw a med ball straight into a girl's face and make her nosebleed and cry at the opening sharing part of the class where you're demoing moves so we had this med ball chest pass and uh yeah i was like right demo this with me and threw it at her and it yeah properly smashed her straight into the nose um she cried that was a strong start i then while trying to move on went to demo a squat on a Bosu ball and then fell off the Bosu ball while uh while attempting to demo it so it was it was genuinely an awesome awesome start to to
0: the (laughs)
1: God, yeah um (laughs) as far as nutrition ones there's probably not that many approaches I haven't tried over the years. You know, whether that's we couldn't eat carbs after 3 p.m. because of some kind of insulin fairy or some kind of,
0: you know. Oh, that just a I've been doing
1: that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's still in your plan, mate, don't we? Don't. Um, <laughs> or some kind of carb goblin. That was definitely not taken out. Uh, eating clean. I definitely bought into eating clean for a while. You know, whether that was having to just wash your foods cover them in bleach I'm not sure entirely what the rules were but it was you know if you were <laughs> if you stopped losing weight at any point you just had to eat cleaner no one ever specified precisely what that meant but that's what that was those were the rules I ate single ingredient foods for a little while that was that was kind of high on the list so you know apparently carrot means single ingredient because carrots aren't made of chemicals uh that's just it's it's its own unique periodic table element carrot uh but so it would be things that I would have to, if I wanted any meal, I would have to fully prepare and cook that meal from scratch. Uh, I have done, I've done super low carb kind of things in there. I've, I hate cottage cheese, like fucking hate it. It is sick, but cheese. And uh, I fully believe that you needed, you know, casein. We needed slow release proteins in the evening and, um, that was going to be the best way of doing that. So I, I would sit there with my tub of cottage cheese of an evening, fucking <laughs> gagging on it. I was like, oh, this is what's needed. <laughs> uh, trying to trying to get that thing down. to blend it and drink it. <laughs> no. Mate, I was poor at the time. There was there was no affording a blender. It was, you just sort of suck that <laughs> up. I think one of my breakfasts at one point, I, this is genuinely was taken off the back of a Dorian Yates protein tub. Uh, breakfast was like five eggs five like hard boiled eggs. I think it was two whole eggs, three just of the egg whites, a hundred grams of porridge um, and two slices of a whole grain toast with a load of, load of peanut butter. And it was I, that was, I was stuffed by the end. Of it. I'd get through the porridge and hundred grams made with water is and, and no sweetening of any kind because again, that wasn't allowed back in the day. Uh, was just your fucking shoveling this thing and it tasted bloody awful, but it was necessary, obviously. And uh, I'd get to the, to the eggs and I'd just be sick of chewing. So I used to just <laughs> try and stick as much of it in my mouth as I could get my pint of water and effectively attempt to just swallow them uh, with the least amount of chewing possible. So that was fun. Um, yeah. You can be probably, you name it. I've probably done it over the years. hundred
0: grams is amateur, Paul. Come on. I've done 200. <laughs> <laughs> 200 grams of porridge
1: is. it's a lot of porridge
0: i've done that for a long time like um, yeah and i remember like I was, I was working like with my dad at the time and um, working as a builder and like yeah. it would be like a 10 o'clock peace break before i stopped feeling sick so i'd be at, like half six in the morning it's like okay it's like 10 o'clock now i'm starting to feel normal again that's better
1: <laughs> if it was just 100 grams of porridge i can deal with 100 grams of oats right like yeah that, i can do that i'm pretty full by the end of it but that's fine it was just these bloody hard-boiled eggs and the two slices of whole grain toast with peanut. Did they
0: specify they had to be hard boiled? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think they did. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, and it was they were just dry, and you know, I was—I think I was 19 at the time, something kind of like that, maybe 20. Uh, and yeah, this was immediately followed by like a <laughs> like a five mile bike ride <laughs> from where I was living to to my uni at the time, um, which with hindsight. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you literally stuff yourself? And then, cool, now I've got to go do some hills uh, on this bike to get there. But apparently that's what I thought would needed to be done. So if that's what needed to be done. Oh, I I had a meal. meal. My favorite crap meal was was just taking in Tupperware. Cold, frozen sprouts that were left to defrost with some uh, sprouts. Prawns with some sprouts. So I've had just a cold (laughs) prawn and sprout meal once. That was, again, when we couldn't have Carbs other than other than veggies. I can't remember exactly what time I thought you couldn't have them after. It, might be, it was like somewhere between three and six. I'm the confident. Was, on
0: your phone or something like right. No more carbs. <laughs> yeah,
1: basically. Um, and so yeah, it was. I just was like, well, I obviously just need some some meat or and some veggies, and that's what we'll do. So it was uh, yeah, prawns and sprouts, and they stank. People did not like me uh that particular day with those ones. It was pretty grim.
0: I've seen i seen a post every day. Someone was moaning about. I can't remember whether it was like people putting like that Biscoff spread or something in their oats or something like that. And like people seem to want to be miserable and playing with food, like as if it makes them like hardcore or something.
1: Yeah, there's, like, there's definitely something to that. You don't
0: get any medals for that, like.
1: No, no, it's like no one cares. It's like oh, I, I suffered more than I needed to. <laughs> okay, bodybuilding is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's maybe it's even a different week. if you
0: are competing and you need to cut some calories and, right, you're having this fat-dense spread. Let's maybe take that out. But it's like, let people just fucking eat something they enjoy. <laughs> like,
1: For sure. Like, if it's still working and this, Like, if you turn up shredded and you got to eat Biscoff every single day, more power to you, congrats. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I'm not saying you're necessarily going to be able to, but if you can, I don't get what the... I'll be even more shredded without the Biscoff. It's like, dude, I can see your fucking kidneys as it is. Like... How much more shredded do you think you can get? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, have you competed yourself, Paul?
1: Yeah, I've competed a few times. Uh, it's been a little while now. Um, when was the last time I competed? Probably, th- what year are we in? 2020? 2022, sorry. Uh, 2018, I think, would be the last time I competed. What, uh, what well, I were?
0: Know,
1: so I competed with the UK DFBA, the UK Drug-Free Bodybuilding Association, and then Pure Elite are the ones I've cool. competed with over the years. Um, as naturally, I'm a long, gangly person by nature. Genetics are not my friend. I suit the wonderful sport of middle distance running, uh, which is is not the sport with the physique that I really wanted and was kind of after. So, um, and there was a, a combination then of, you know, the, I think the the fitness industry has become much more open about say things like steroid use over the years. But back in the day, no one no one spoke about it. So you're just kind of like, why am I not getting as big as these guys? And then I think being being an actor all the
0: during years fun.
1: yeah exactly <laughs> I just why was I not massive um i did high intensity training and i ate those eggs damn it um it was it was yeah Story just kind of wasn't really spoken about and then being an actor as well just was not something that ever came across my radar uh particularly really or, or something that I was ever kind of drawn to. So it was for me, it was then a case of okay, well, if I'm not going to compete in, in in the tested ones, because I ain't going to do well in any of those, uh, let's look at the, the untested uh, sorry, the test. I've said that entirely
0: asked back. Yeah, right.
1: I'm tired, yeah. Hopefully we understood what I was getting at. well I'm, I'm not gonna do it well in the untested show. So let's look at the tested ones. But there weren't a huge amount of them. There was the UK dfba and the BMBF uh in the UK kind of back then and initially I competed in the bodybuilding federation because uh which I don't suit I would I've done better in fitness model style categories which would suit me kind of better um but the early ones made you wear these really long board shorts and I am someone who has been blessed with the natural calf genetics of an ostrich and so I was like if I wear really long board shorts. It's just going to look like I don't train legs. And I refuse to have that said about me. (laughs) So the, the only federation at the time that was, uh, that was not kind of doing that or the only um, uh, categories within that were, were just bodybuilding ones. So my first show with the UK DFBA was, I think back in 2000, it was either 14 or 15. I forget exactly kind of when Um, I'm I'm I think 14 and yeah, full, full bodybuilding, tiny ass pants, uh so we could kind of get away with those and then as you move through the years a little bit I was like okay I can wear posing like trunk pants things here that in the fitness model categories and that way no one can say I don't train legs anymore (laughs) let's move to those things that that suit me a little bit better so yeah done that a few times um and then a bunch of photoshoot stuff over the years as well
0: yeah going back to the 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 acting as well Paul never really asked about that like were you in any any big hits
1: so I've been there's a Film all the two of mine that have been on on Netflix. I don't know if they're still on there. They're not great. That's defi- I was definitely, hoping you not.
0: weren't going to say anything you know, any dodgy sites that you've been on pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's
1: what I'm aware of uh, so actually, most of my work when uh, as an actor was was spent on stage, I did a all lot right. of stage work than I did um, TV or, or, or film work, although I did, did some. Um, so yeah, I've been on the West End a bit and uh, been nominated for Best Male Performance at West End Awards and bits and pieces. Interestingly for playing a drug addicted strip club bouncer who (laughs) raped a chick. So, you know, that can, uh, you (laughs) you can, you can read into that, whatever you like. Um, So, so yeah, that was, uh, they were the main bits, but it's it's a few years back now.
0: I guess it's all helped with the the camera stuff that you're putting Mm -hmm. out at the moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, It's one of those things that sort of dawned on me earlier this year really was that, But we live in the social media era, and if you're going to be an online coach in particular, part of the job is to communicate to people uh, and to communicate to an audience through a camera, really. And social media, I think one of the first rules for any of it has to be, if you don't get someone's attention, this is true in general, but it's certainly definitely, definitely true on social media. If I don't first have your attention, I can't teach you anything. You can be the best coach in the world, bar none. And if you can't hold anyone's attention, you don't grab them initially. It doesn't matter how good you are because they don't really know you exist. And so I was like, well, no one's really doing this thing about how do you communicate through a camera lens or how do you feel comfortable and confident on camera? And what are the technical aspects of, you know, where do you stand? Where do you look? How do I edit kind of bits and pieces? If I'm, what does that even mean? How do I, like, there's lots and lots of stuff. within there that obviously I've, I've got a, a rather large background and a good chunk, you know, the best part of a decade of my life spent doing precisely performative stuff, whether that's on stage and presenting, um, whether that's talking to the camera, it sort of doesn't matter. They're all very similar skills uh, that I was like, Oh yeah, no one's doing that. <laughs> I should probably do that. Um, and so that's, that's really how that, that, that came to be was leveraging that part of my background um, with I think the fact that there's a there's a giant gaping wound of a gap in the industry that a lot of PTs don't necessarily realize or recognize they need to be better at. Like, I think a lot of really
0: nice little niche for you, actually, mm, Um, we we were recording our exercise library last week and. I, I, like, I remember when I was talking through some of them, James was like on the machine doing the example. And I was like looking at the camera. I'm like, I'd, I'd watch from your videos. And then I, I started looking away and I'd be looking at James. I'm like, fuck, I'm not looking at the camera. What did Paul say in those videos? <laughs> he's he's going to be raging if he sees this. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those ones. Like, why would you be good at it? Like, <laughs> it, it's a skill. And like any skill, it takes some practice and experience and a bit of feedback. And often, you know, you can get some really big wins with some really basic tips. Uh, which will help a lot. Then some of it is about just the personality that, that someone has. But I've always had sort of the opinion on this, that if you've got mates, if people actually like you and like hanging out with you, then you have enough of a personality to be fine on camera. Because if you actually go and look, like I asked PTs to like come up with a bit of a list. Who do you like watching on camera? Why do you like them? Have you ever thought about what it is and why? And like a bit of an analysis, a bit of an evaluation of, what makes someone good on camera or not so good on camera? And can you then turn that lens onto yourself and go, okay. Because if you start looking around, who do you like on camera? What you're going to see is that there's a variety. It's not like there's one style. I only like funny people. Well, and I'm not funny. You're like, so, oh, well, then you're fucked. If you only like funny people. It's like, but you don't only like funny people. You only have to look at the like YouTubers who've done very well. And you can find examples of funny people with millions of followers. You can find examples of like not funny people in the slightest with millions of followers. The one thing none of them are, are boring. So even if they're not funny, they're at least, they're usually kind of like warm or enthusiastic or hyper knowledgeable on a topic and they explain it very well. There's something about them that is succinct to the point has a little bit of personality quite often, Don't get me wrong. It obviously helps if you're a bit funny and you've got some kind of personality thing going on within there as well. But it's not essential. So there's lots of styles uh, and there's lots of things that work on camera. And then it's just kind of finding the ones that suit you and your audience. Like, I think you're always looking to be two things on camera, one of which is engaging Right, meaning non boring and the best part of you, the part of you that is, uh, that has friends, <laughs> uh, when it's at its best. And then the other part is authentic, which is, you know, it's one of those slightly wank words that gets used in a lot of industries. You'll kind of know that it exists somewhere in there, of like, that just doesn't very much feel like Connor, right? Like, that's, that's really just, that's not the guy that I recognize. That ain't James. Who the fuck's he trying to be? Like, <laughs> you know, there's an authenticity aspect that takes, a bit of time to figure out whatever, in writing it gets called your voice, right? Whatever that stylistic part. Like I make a lot of inappropriate dick jokes uh, and what have you. And But that that is me. If you hang out with me, I'm going to make those jokes in person as well. So it's finding a combination of those things. And it just takes a bit of time and practice.
0: Again, if you ask people their favourite performers on camera, you might get some dodgy answers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's great insight. You know, at least <laughs> is always enthusiastic.
0: But, um, it leads us on nicely to ask you about your new project that's coming up, because one thing I think you're very good at, Paul, is, um, you know, when it comes to the biomechanics stuff, you can put it together and put it out there without it sounding completely boring because it can mm-hmm. be a little bit kind of boring. And don't worry, we'll put this out after 8th so you can, you <laughs> can tell. What, what, what's your uh, new new um, project you've got coming up?
1: So the new project is called the PT Project. So uh, Connor did super well at leading it in with the name. <laughs> There's the Personal Trainer Project, or the PT Project, uh, to begin with, really it specialises in teaching personal trainers biomechanics, which for me really is like the foundation stone of being a good trainer. And look, biomechanics can sound super complicated or like it's this different thing, but if you come at it through this lens, biomechanics just means forces applied to anatomy. It's just forces applied to anatomy, which really means that every bit of training that you've ever done is biomechanics, right? Biomechanics does not mean we have to sling bands on stuff. It doesn't mean we've got to put a gimp mask on and it doesn't mean we have to get the triangles out like Connor was mentioning earlier, right? If you've done a bench press, you've done biomechanics. If you've sat on a chair, you've done biomechanics. If you've opened a door, you've done biomechanics. You just don't know it yet, right? So what we do as trainers, well, the name is trainer. Our first function is about training and training is governed by these physical rules, the physics really. that is biomechanics and we can manipulate them if we know what we're doing and we know how to see them to better suit the client and the client's goals and i got it you know when i first started getting into the biomechanics realm there was a few basic questions that i remember being asked and i just sat there thinking fuck i don't know the answer to these questions and that's not a good sign i've been a trainer for like seven years or something and you know someone asked why is a dumbbell lat raise?" Hardest when you take your arm out to the side and hold it out to the side. You know, did the dumbbell get heavier? Like if I'm holding a, a five kilo dumbbell, I hold it down by the side of my body. Cool. Pretty easy. I can stay there for almost forever. And yet, if I take my arm out and hold that same five kilo dumbbell, the dumbbell didn't suddenly magically add more mass to itself, right? It's not, oh, fuck me. I didn't notice. It's now a 20 kilo dumbbell, right? No, that didn't happen. So what is is it harder? Because it's self-evidently harder to anyone who's ever done it. And I remember going, bugger, I don't know. <laughs> and that didn't strike me as a very good reason, <laughs> very good thing as a, as a trainer who would been doing it a fair while. Because if I don't know how to find the answer to that, really, the only reason I know that exercises work certain muscles is just experience, which is, you know. Well, I've done it and it sort of worked. Which is all right, but that doesn't strike me as the most professional of answers for uh, for a particular thing. It's a bit like giving someone the same diet plan each time. Why does it work? Well, I don't know, I just, you know, it works. <laughs> right? It's like, well, okay, maybe we want to know a bit more than that. And actually, the other cool thing with biomechanics and that lat race is it actually uses stuff that you're familiar with on a day-to-day basis because you interact with the physical world. So it isn't different than how you open a door. Like when I use examples like seesaws and doors and try and put them into real world examples, like the reason that the dumbbell lat raise is hardest when your arm is out to the side is effectively has leverage. It has this thing we call a moment arm, which is just a fancy way of saying leverage, over your shoulder in that position in a way that it doesn't when your arm is down by the side. And what we want to kind of almost think is, you know, if you think of a door, well, a door has some hinges, and then it has a handle, but you don't put the handle right next to the hinges. You put them at the other end of the door. And the reason you put them at the other end of the door is leverage. You have a greater amount of leverage out there than if you were to stick the handle right next to the hinge. That'd be a shit place to open the door from. Or if you're trying to use a crowbar, you hold the end of the crowbar. You don't shimmy your way along so that you've got the world's crappiest amount of leverage right by whatever the kink in the crowbar is called. And you're like, yeah, I want to do use this. You're like, no, stop being a bellend. Hold the far end. Like if you wanted to use even a diving board, right? You dive off the end of the diving board and you can see it going, right, and moving around. Well, if you stand right next to the hinge bit on the diving board and jump on that, it don't do the same thing because it doesn't have the same leverage over, we call call it a fulcrum, we can call it an axis, you can call it whatever one. It's the bit that shit spins around. And in the body, the bit that we're spinning around are joints and we create these leverage things. And so I use an example whenever I teach in person, and we're exploring this for the first time so people can feel it, because we're much more persuaded by the experience of something than just a bunch of words of going, right, who reckons they can lat raise a two kilo dumbbell? Or I'll pick the smallest dumbbell in the gym that I can find, right? Two kilos, two and a half kilos, one kilo, whatever. Who reckons that they can lat raise a two and a half kilo dumbbell? And it feels like a really... Insulting question, and usually by this point in whatever thing we've been doing, people are a bit suspicious of me because they feel like I might be trying to lay a trap, and they would be right. I am, and so sometimes you get someone go, yeah. Most of the time, however, you get people go, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. So in that case, I'll just pick on the biggest person there. Like you're six foot five and enormous. Are you telling me you can't lat raise a two and a half kilo dumbbell? Like this tiny chick at the front can can lap, raise a two and a half kilo dumbbell. This is embarrassing me. Uh, and you'll kind of get them to come out. And I've got this two and a half kilo dumbbell by me. But what I'll also have done is set up a two and a half kilo dumbbell that I've strapped to like a broomstick. right Somewhere around kind of the corner. So I'll go and fetch that. And what they have to do is hold the end of the broomstick in their hand. The dumbbell is now at the far end of the broomstick. So the dumbbell is no longer just at the end of their arm. It's another arm away even further. And cool. Now try and lift it. And I've yet to see anyone get it beyond about 45 degrees. And that's because when you're doing a dumbbell lat raise, what you're really lifting isn't just the dumbbell. The dumbbell is actually only one half of what you're dealing with. You're dealing with this combination of the load and the leverage that load has at any particular point. So when we extend the broomstick, we extend the arm. All we've done is extend the leverage. And I don't give two fucks if you turn up with Eddie Hall or Hathor Bjornsson. If you give me a big enough broomstick, I will make them fail with a kilo. Because you are never, ever just lifting the load. You're lifting load times leverage. We call it force times moment arm. And it creates this spinny thing we call a torque, which most people normally are familiar with a little bit like motorbikes and shit. And it's not really ever explained. But torque just describes how effectively does some force rotate something? So, how effectively does that dumbbell rotate your shoulder? How effectively does your delt rotate your shoulder? How effectively does your bicep spin your elbow? You can play with all these things, and the annoying thing when you're first starting out is they're invisible. So, it's hard to see them, and it takes a bit of practice. But once you can start seeing them, you start understanding them. You can manipulate them, and that's really where it kicks into the great stuff for trainers. Because when you know this isn't about just oh, look at me, I can show off and describe things (laughs) like people aren't paying you to describe things they're paying you to get a result for them but if you've got a client who's got some injuries and actually they can't tolerate that much force in that position that exercise doesn't suit them not everyone suits a back squat or a bench press some people it really annoys them and sometimes you won't know why but you can start to explore that if you have some biomechanics understanding and go okay well what alternatives have i got how do i make this suit them or if they've got a body part that they really struggle to grow why Can we explore why? Is there a a reason that we can see why? And then how do we manipulate stuff so that it's no longer a difficult body part to grow? It might still be a little more difficult. There's a genetic component to this as well. But a large part of it is often that just the biomechanics mean that that exercise that is for quads, squats, let's say, and I could use myself as an example for this, squats cause my adductors and my ass to grow. They've never fucking grown my quads Almost ever, right? It doesn't matter how heavy and hard and for how long I push them, and I just I never understood why, because well you squat for legs, that's just the given, and so seven or eight years in of always squatting and just being like it just seems to annoy my back a little bit, my ass keeps growing, so you know I've got some kind of peachy thing going on here, but my quads are a bit embarrassing and. I don't, I, I, how do I solve this? I'm squat more, I guess. Right. And that was, that was pretty much it. And it wasn't You're just not hard
0: enough. Though.
1: Yeah, exactly. And don't I was like, want oh. enough. Exactly. And I, that's, that's genuinely what I thought. So I used to push harder and put on some more Metallica and try and scream a bit more and more pre-workout. And it, you know, the, the same outcome was happening and I, I didn't know why. I just thought, well, okay, i have just got to keep going because you know these other people are growing their legs. And then you, know, you learn a little bit of this stuff. You go, oh, okay, I can see why. This squat for someone does really suit them and will grow their quads. It creates a large amount of torque at their knee and their hip. But for me, it creates a large amount of torque at my hip and a very small amount, relatively speaking, at my knee. And so the muscular challenge is related to this external torque the challenge that the exercise presents, the leverage times the force that this exercise presents to my musculature. And it is that demand that I'm responding to. Okay, cool. How do we manipulate? So if you
0: were teaching. It, we I think when we was learning that stuff, we just jumped in straight to like moment arms and was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck's that? Yeah. <laughs> you get, it's confusing.
1: Yeah. Like, I think one of the biggest things that for me, a lot of the time, People teaching biomechanics, I always say, sounds like someone mouth fucked a thesaurus. Like it's like they just went and picked all the big fancy words and tried to confuse people with it. And don't get me wrong, any subject has its terminology, and so we have to somewhat get familiar with it a little bit at some point. But you have to lead that in in a way that people can follow and understand. And the the worst thing I think as an educator is when you when someone sits there afraid to say they don't know what the fuck that word means because they're like, oh, he just said that. and I'm assuming everyone else in the room just understands what perpendicular means. Uh, And it's a word that I feel like I should know, but I'm uh, I'm just going to stay quiet. And then they just stay a little confused because we didn't take the time to explain it very well or or for me, show it very well. Like, I think whenever we're learning a new topic, golden rule, and I think this applies to camera stuff as well, show, don't tell. Right. If I can get a model, if I can get you to see it with your eyeballs, if I can get you to experience it physically by in the gym when we're actually doing something, there is so much more buy-in, there's so much more understanding that happens as a result of that than just me describing the moment arm as the perpendicular distance between the axis and the line of force. It's like, okay... You just said eight words that I don't understand. I understood the word "and" and the what was the rest of that? <laughs> and people can one hundred percent understand what these things are. They aren't. I don't actually think difficult things to get to grips with. But you have to layer them in appropriately. And I think you have to try and find a way of um, getting a bit of curiosity from someone. So asking them questions like, "Why is that harder? There is it? Experience it. All right, try that. I don't to do this. Why was that different? Does anyone feel that? Okay." Hmm. Right. And then can we have a little kind of play with those bits and pieces? Can you make it fun? Can you stick a dumbbell on a broomstick and then make the biggest dude fail to lift a tiny dumbbell? Right. And kind of go, oh, that's weird. Right. Can you do those things that get you this buy-in so that when you then have to sit down for a little bit and go through something that's a bit less exciting, you know, Connor's further along. So he gets the lovely, glorious part of learning triangle shit uh, a little bit, because at some point, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of stuff, it turns out. Pythagoras fucking matters. Who'd have thought that one? I definitely didn't. i have a horrible it. habit <laughs> of
0: asking you questions that are complicated. Or yeah, complicated. Connor
1: doesn't like to ask simple words. He'll think it's a simple question, and then you'll go off in the weeds. But then, how long have you been with me now, Connor? It's a good few months, isn't it?
0: It's the beginning of the year. Five months now.
1: Yeah, okay. It's very day. So we didn't start, <laughs> you know, with our first ones. And Connor has a bit of a background and some experience with this stuff as well. But if you're starting with someone who has precisely no idea of these things. There's a whole world that doesn't exist to them yet. But at the same time, because they're, you know, experienced with training, they are experienced with some of this stuff. They've opened doors before. They've sat on a seesaw, right? They've lifted weights in the gym. They have really? an understanding.
0: <laughs> You're going to get someone to come down like, no, I've never actually opened the door. You know that. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You're like, I have butlers. They open everything <laughs> for me. Right? Oh, damn. Uh, right? So people have an experience with the physical world. So if we can put this into things that they understand and then provide the right shift immediately so you see this seesaw and then wham we put it into the context of uh how your bones and muscles kind of work and you can layer them next to each other in the appropriate way you can go oh it's like that and it is because you you know your body evolved in nature which means it had to evolve according to the laws of physics it doesn't get to beat them right muscles don't do anything particularly fancy they yank on bones in order to spin bones
0: <laughs> i think um, right. a, a good point for me to say here is for any of my clients that are listening when you wonder why i can't count to 10 when i'm when i'm watching yeah. reps, it's because i'm thinking about all this shit <laughs> so let's just put that out there <laughs> he's probably not
1: he's probably not. that's uh,
0: that's what just that's a, that's, the,
1: that's the positive cop out he's like yeah yeah no i'm like i'm, I'm deep in thought yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Con- I'm contemplating the physical world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I
0: just can't go to 10. That's the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Occasionally.
1: And, and, but he is right. Like a lot of time you are looking for those bits and pieces and, and seeing what's going on. Occasionally you also have the thought of like, God, I'm hungry. Oh shit. How many reps are you on? That happens sometimes too. But a lot of it is, okay, what's going on? How do I move this? What can I say or do to my client in this moment to help them get the most out of that thing? Sometimes that's shut the fuck up because you know, if you've got a new client learning a thing, stop distracting them with extra stuff. There's only so much anyone can focus on at once. And if you're having to cue a million things as a coach, <laughs> you gave them something too complicated. <laughs> right. Like simple.
0: I can't remember where I heard it, but um, someone or something once said to me, if you give a client an exercise and they can't pick it up within like two minutes, it, you know, you've started with the wrong exercise for them. Um, yeah. Don't know where that came from, but so credit to whoever that came from.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, it's a generally pretty decent um, rule. Like, same as if you're using cues, I have a rule. Like, if you say the same phrase three times and it hasn't given you the outcome that you wanted, stop fucking saying it. <laughs> it's clearly not working, right? So find a different way of saying it, demoing it, poking it, prodding it, like whatever it needs to to get that. Or are you just saying words for the sake of saying words? And Look, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you feel silence a little bit, right? Sometimes some clients respond really well to some vocal encouragement and actually just more noise around them helps them get those extra few reps that they might not get otherwise. Sometimes, however, it's distracting and it's just performative and people have learned to do it because they've watched JP do it. And that's not really a great run. They're sort of losing their, in their focus on whatever I might want them to be focusing on in that particular thing. Um, There there is never going to be a cue that suits everyone because people are quite different, both in their structure and certainly in their psychology and their personality and how they relate to that stuff. I've, you know, I've had clients who hate competition. So, you know, trying to set things of like, right, you got to smash this or like, it doesn't work for Helen in this particular instance. Right. And then there's other people who actually Helen's husband, I used to train Helen's husband, Neil. And uh, Neil, an ex-rugby player, a really competitive dude. They make quite a funny couple as a result of this quite difference in personality. But you'd almost have to pull him back from competition because he's had way too many knee injuries (laughs) over the years from from bits and pieces. So, you know, how we go about getting an outcome from a client is also going to be different and dependent on them.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that's what biomechanics says. Mm. How are you going to teach that, Paul? What does a PT project entail? And it's not just yourself, of course, is it?
1: Nope. So it's me, James Sutton, are the two main guys. We've got a guy called Gordon Greenhorn, who's doing most of our videography stuff and some other kind of bits and pieces with us there. So I think biomechanics, a lot of the content is taught really well. Uh, Let me say that again. A lot of the content is pretty good in terms of being technically correct across the industry. But I, I just don't think it's taught as well as it could be. I think it confuses more than it enlightens for a lot of people um, and people are then afraid to say anything you know whether that's people using the word and this is the force vector and then really they just mean direction right and so in say di- people know what direction means they don't know what vector means and people using vector often don't know what vector means vector is a mathematical quantity that means something has a direction and a magnitude but they're not saying that they're, what they're saying is the force goes in that direction over there Well, you don't know the magnitude yet, so don't say vector. Just say force goes that way, (laughs) right? And then we'll stop confusing people because you didn't need to use that fancy-ass word. George Orwell had a good line in writings, like, don't use a big word where a short one will do. Yeah, 100%. Stop trying to show off for that. Like, if you can put it in simpler terms, put it in fucking simpler terms. Put it into a visual guide with this. Like, can we take the concepts and find the best most interesting way of teaching them that really walks people through so they don't feel stupid so they can get it so they feel empowered by this stuff so they feel excited by this stuff um and so they can be you know the best trainers that they can be that's the that's the gist that's what we're trying to aim at and that's what i think and hope um we can do better than anyone else out there and you know perhaps some of that is is driven by the things like camera experience and kind of going, right. I I actually have a a lot of experience in terms of being in front of people and performing in front of people have a pretty good feel for what does and doesn't work when you're communicating or waffling to, to an audience and trying to hold their attention. Um, You know, I'm also a, a massive nerd and I've had some awesome teachers over the years and you steal things from awesome teachers online. You know, I watched a crap load of physics lectures from Walter Lewin, who's an MIT professor who's eccentric as fuck Uh, And I'm not saying people should start with these ones because they're very math heavy, but he has these really cool demonstrations of whatever the topic or the subject is at the end of it, where, like, you know, he built a big pendulum in the lecture hall, attached it to the ceiling, and at one point pendulums himself across the entire lecture hall, right? Uh, to demonstrate the fact that on pendulums, the weight on the bottom of it doesn't matter to how fast the pendulum goes, which feels counterintuitive. You'd think, well, if I stuck a bowling ball on there, it should pendulum more than if I stuck a tennis ball on it, but it doesn't. Right. And you can test this stuff. He gets, does a demo where he stands. Whenever you drop these things, uh, they will, there's a conservation of energy principle that they're never going to come back up higher than the start point they drop from. Right. And so, you know, if we uh, drop something that goes up and down a ramp and you drop it here, it goes zoom, zoom, and then comes up the one side of the ramp and then back towards you, it's never going to shoot back up higher than the point you dropped it from. But you can test this and demo this, and he does great ones with this. So stands at one side of of the lecture hall, holds a bowling ball by his face, and then lets it go. And it swings across the entire lecture hall and then right back to like an inch away from his nose. Uh, and it comes back, and it's just a really cool, like, fuck, <laughs> demonstration that goes, see, science works. So Walter Lewin's been great. There's a guy called Mark uh, Mark Rober, who has some awesome um, ways of demoing cool scientific bits. He built a whole, uh, <laughs> he built a trap for squirrels in his garden in order for them to get nuts. But it's like the most ridiculous, it's got like 97 million views. It's phenomenally cool, uh, and it's, it's an engineering thing. There's a guy called Smarter Every Day who did a great thing on pulleys. So I was like, I'm not going to steal that fucking idea, right? Like, if you're actually interested and excited in this, you should be stealing <laughs> from lots of people going, that is a good way of teaching that. Give credit, right? You know, don't pretend you came up with it if you, you didn't. But, you know, there's, I think Picasso said it. It's like, um, good artists imitate, great artists steal. Like, <laughs> his point is is the same kind of thing, like, if you don't need to reinvent a wheel, if you found a great way of explaining that or a good way of, of really demoing it, lean into it. You know, Tom Purvis has a wonderful um, model for showing squats and the differences in structure. That affect squats so what happens if i extend the length of the tibia or extend the length of the femur or extend the length of the torso or i change any of these variables here's a model so i'm actually getting a model of that built so i can do the same fucking video <laughs> right yes. i'm gonna create the same pulley system video that the smarter everyday guy did i'm like right i need a big um, wooden board that i can screw these guys into and i've got a luggage scale here and a luggage scale there and you can see when i put this through these pulleys and i pull on this guy that the weight stack has eight times more force in it I have in my hand because you can see it on the luggage scales so cool we can get a visual for yeah we might want to understand okay the 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 physics behind why pulley systems do what they do but do you know what's the easier way of doing it showing you so you can go oh wow they do (laughs) so rather than just being words you can see them you can experience them and then you can kind of go oh what do I do with that as a trainer there's lots of things you can do with that as a trainer but I, I think the the big thing is really trying to sit there and think How do you present this information in the most interesting, entertaining and authentic way possible so that it genuinely teaches people? That is the aim of the PT project.
0: And um, so I assume you'll be you'll be delivering this through a lot of um, like in-person courses.
1: Yeah. So the, the two main things that are coming out initially, there is a group coached mentorship. So watch this amount of videos this week. Then we jump on a live call, discuss them all, make sure everyone has got that concept locked down. Then you move into the second week onto the next block of videos. You watch those guys. We jump on a live call. Make sure you've got it locked down. Bosh, 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 bosh. You walk through 12 weeks so that someone who has no understanding of biomechanics at the end of this 12 weeks feels pretty good at their ability to actually do some cool shit with this and really get to grips with it. So that's the, the online mentorship. We're finalizing the exact date, but it looks like that's kicking off in July. Um, and then... As you rightly said, the in person events of which we're going to have actually quite a few. So, the first one's coming out. There's a we wanted again to to get a bunch of people who have really not that much experience in this, but are excited maybe or curious to know a little bit more about this stuff, but aren't necessarily might feel a bit intimidated to come on a full two day event uh, where there's loads of education. So, it's like a one day. Intro to biomechanics for personal trainers day that should be quite practical, quite useful, quite fun, quite interesting. So uh we've we've got one of those days coming out. Then there's going to be the two-day educational events to go quite a bit deeper uh, into some of those bits and pieces. And then we're also going to have uh these hypertrophy training camps where effectively you come in for a weekend, we actually beat you up a little bit, uh smash through some training, and you know, we might touch on a couple of the little Principles and educational bits, but it's really just about doing it All right. So here's what we do on this. Here's what I want you to do. Hit like. Well, let's actually take people through four different big, horrible sessions. um We did one of them. uh The last thing we did actually in person for the Muscle mentors was, was one of these types of camps. And uh yeah, it went really, really well. It was, it was, it was good. It was great. People. I actually
0: seen it. that video you had with um, Joe Kelly on the yep. lake extension That looked fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be surprised that when it. So when you put those things out, people kind of want to experience them, right? Like some people really like training to failure, but actually failure is quite a hard point to fully identify, right? On one level, it's a really obvious thing. Well, I failed. I couldn't do any more. Cool. We all understand the principle of that idea. But on another level, it's not exactly obvious where that happens to be. You know, if I've got an exercise like that dumbbell lat raise that gets harder and harder and harder and harder and hardest as I take my arm away, well, failing at the very top of that motion by the exercise is hardest, doesn't have anything to do with whether I fail through the whole rest of that range of the motion. I'm limited by the end point. Well, what if I have a different exercise that gives me a huge challenge all through this bottom bit and drops off as I get to the top? Well, failure occurs at a different point in the rep. It might occur through the whole rep. It might occur through a bigger range of motion. Has it occurred just because I can't sustain that tempo anymore? how much movement compensation am I gonna allow to happen? Okay, I failed at that particular amount of force output in that range of motion. Does that mean I failed with a slightly smaller force output or through a slightly different range of motion? Like failure is not a perfectly um, clear cut line in the sand. And so one of the things to demo this point a little bit is right, I'm gonna define failure as the point at which this client can no longer lift the weight of their own tibia. Right. That's that. That's what I'm after. That's what I want. And Joe's a big boy, right? He's, you know, nearly hundred kilos, pretty damn lean. I want Joe with his massive quads to not be able to lift his own shin bone uh, at the end of this set. That is the aim. Can we get there? And yes, takes a little while. Uh, And we're not saying you need to do anything like that all the time or that growth doesn't occur I wouldn't believe that and the evidence wouldn't suggest that and some physiological principles um, to do with muscle damage and things like uh, if you want to get into the biochemical stuff that you get these things called calpains that erode your ability to even send signals into the contractile parts of muscle actin and myosin their ability to produce force so if you cause a certain amount of muscle damage you can't even create mechanical tension And if mechanical tension is the driver of hypertrophy, well, then you've just shot yourself in the fucking foot, right? Just because you really like training to failure all the time. It's like, okay, like there's a time and a place for it, but let's, you know, these are all tools. You should not be so ideologically committed to a tool to think it's perfect for everything. Otherwise you want to fuck your own hammer and that's a stupid idea, right? It's just a hammer, right? So, don't treat it as any better or worse than the screwdriver than the saw than whatever else you've got in your toolkit. It's who's this person in front of me? What do they want? What's their goals? What's appropriate for them? What do they like? Right. If someone really likes bench pressing, unless it causes their shoulder to fall off, we're probably going to bench press. Like, even if you think it's not perfect for them, I don't give a shit. It's their goal, their life. You're the coach, not them.
0: Yeah. All all this stuff kind of goes out the window when your client says, yeah, but I like to bench press. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or you kind of go, cool, well, we'll have the bench press. Maybe we'll think about where we sequence it in the workout. Maybe we'll think about how much volume we put through it. If we don't think it suits them, maybe we only need to give them two sets rather than four as a result of that. Maybe we go, OK, well, where's the challenge? OK, so the bench press position challenge is in the lengthened range. So my arm is down by the side. And I know that I fatigue faster in a short range than in a lengthened range. So, where might I sequence the bench press? Well, I might put it later in the workout. Maybe I put these exercises that give me a challenge in the short position before I get there. And maybe also as a result of doing that, I have to handle less load in the bench press, which maybe decreases some of the injury risk as a result of that. Maybe we check what range of motion is actually appropriate for my client. So that rather than it having to always be chest to bar, because it's always chest to bar, no matter if you have the wingspan of an albatross or T-Rex arms, chest to bar is where it needs to be. It doesn't matter if you have a barrel chest like Jenna Jameson or the pigeon chest of Peter Crouch. The bar has to ta- like, no, look, these people aren't built the same. The distance that load travels isn't the same. The internal joint angles that we get into aren't the same. And therefore, the consequences for their structure aren't the same. So do we need to use the same regimen? Well, maybe they still like it. Maybe they're like, yeah, but I want a power lift. Cool. As long as you've made them aware of the potential consequences and what's going on within that, they're still an adult. They can go do heroin if they want. It might not be legal, but I can't stop them. I I don't (laughs) have
0: to say that to clients.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's, you know, our our job, we can't make, I'm always insistent on this when I I talk to coaches, like, look, your job in many senses is, is advisory. You're the president's advisor. You ain't the fucking president. Like yeah. you can suggest stuff, but you can't make people do stuff unless they want to do it. And sometimes as a coach, you get clients who will do literally anything you tell them, but they came to you going, I will do literally anything you tell me. You're like, okay. And even that still has limits. If you went, what you need to do is sacrifice a baby to the, you know, God Imahotep, because that's actually the key to muscle gains they'll be like no <laughs> right so there's there's it's just no one thinks that that's that actually going to lead to that so that's why it that doesn't happen but again the point is you can't make people do stuff unless there's buy-in from them and it, you know it's not necessarily our job to give someone a goal they come with their goals we might help them understand them a little bit more might be able to help them flesh it out a little bit more but they're their goals
0: that's it. That's it. And that's a, that's a nice wee place to actually wrap up there, Paul. So, uh, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been very, very insightful. Um, where can people find out more about you and your uh, new project? Yeah, so you
1: can find me. Instagram is pretty much the, the main place we hang out. So Paul Stamdell on Instagram, you'll find me there. Uh, you can also search the PT Project and you will find us there as well. Uh, and then the website is the personaltrainerproject.com. Uh, should you want to get a hold of me on email it is paul at personaltrainerproject.com shockingly difficult to uh, understand that one but instagram is primarily the best place to get hold of me
0: cool perfect well thanks again for everyone who's listened to that and uh, yeah go check out paul and there's a uh, new project
1: perfect cheers man cheers guys thanks very cool. much